Welcome to the Care Exchange, the Skills Care podcast for managers in social care. I'm Pierre Raftier Burton. And I'm Wendy Adams. Today on the Care Exchange, we have a guest. Uh, this is Samantha Crawley. Now, Samantha is the CEO and normal individual of Bracebridge Care Group, a new organisation with a number of new nursing homes for older people. Samantha has worked in social care for 25 years in various roles, including operational director and director of care quality. In these roles, she's overseeing the management of services that have been rated outstanding by CQC. Samantha is also a director for the Outstanding Society. In her role at the Outstanding Society, she's involved in webinars and podcasts, sharing her experiences of achieving outstanding in CQC inspections. So, sounds really exciting. So, looking forward to chatting to Samantha and on with the show. Welcome to the Care Exchange, Samantha. Oh, thank How are you, you very much. Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Glad to be here. Oh, really, really grateful you can spare the time to join us today. So, you know, we heard an introduction here that you have managed lots of services, some of them races outstanding, and, and I know you are the director of one of the of the outstanding sites as well. So we were just wondering, we know when we talk to managers that a lot of them strive to to be rated outstanding or for their services to be rated mm-hmm. outstanding why do you think that's kind of really important for them I think humans are innately competitive <laughs> I think I think we all want to win um I think that if there is a level that we can aspire to be at yeah. that as humans we do yeah. And um, I think that that's very natural. It's very natural for us to do that. So from a human perspective, it makes sense to want to be the best. Yeah. Um, of course, as good and outstanding demonstrates that you're one of the best, best, best care provider, whether that's home care, uh, older people's care, lender, disease, whatever it is, it says, I am good at this. You can trust me. And I want to be able to demonstrate that to you. So I think... From a from a person's perspective who is delivering a service, it's like really it's like your homework being marked, isn't it? it essentially, you know, and it's like whether you get like a little tick or you get the star, you know, we always wanted the stars, and that kind of helps people see that that's what you you're able to do. Um, and I suppose that the other thing for this is is that what we're trying to do in the whole of care is build trust with a public that doesn't trust mm. an awful lot of this. So I think that that enables people to be able to kind of go, well, actually, an independent regulator has gone into this service, whatever the service is, has assessed the people, has assessed the processes, has assessed the quality and state that this is good or this is outstanding. And then that gives them the hope then that actually when they're choosing that space, that they've got you know, more safety in that choice. So there's lots of different reasons why people strive for it. But I will say keeping outstanding is much harder. Um, And that we have to actually, if we were outstanding last year and we didn't do anything different, we definitely won't be outstanding today. So it's about continually developing. So it's, I think there's a whole lot. I probably answered that way too long, but there's a whole lot of different reasons why we, we strive for that. Interesting, isn't it? And because I know you worked, you've been work, you have worked with lots of different services. So you must have seen 
you know some you have must have yeah. managed services where there was there were rated requires improvement yeah. or yeah. good or outstanding what what difference what 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 makes a difference from your point of view what can you see when you go into a service I had a I, I was really blessed I worked with um Dr David Sheard who um is really a guru in dementia care and I worked yeah. with him in um, managing culture change programs and care homes and often people would contact us when they weren't doing very well maybe with the regulator or with other issues like safeguardings or whatever that was going on and the biggest thing the biggest difference in inadequate requires improvement good and outstanding is culture and um, culture literally runs through the vein of 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 every organization and um we need to be very protective of our culture. I, I really, I, I really feel that. I feel we need to almost be brutal in it. I, I would say that we, you know, if we've got the wrong person in the wrong role doing the wrong thing, we need to act on that. We need to act on that immediately. Culture goes off piece a little when maybe we don't. When maybe we don't do that. So I think when you walk into um, an inadequate service or you walk into a service that requires improvement, it depends on when. So if you if you've walked into a service that has just been inspected and has an inadequate rating or um is is yeah has well, and that can be either in a local authority or a CQC inspection and um, the thing that you'll see I think most of the time is that the morale of the team is on the floor that they don't feel supported that they feel like it's all kind of sitting on their shoulders that they can't get anything right that actually what, you know, they come into work and it's a slog, it's very hard. There's typically high sickness levels, there's typically high stress levels. Um, and then because of all of that, that creates more issues, that creates then complaints, it creates safeguards, it creates all of those other things that then mean that the trajectory is going in completely the wrong direction. So you're, you're, you're swimming up a river instead of down the river. And that's the feeling, I think, when you go in, you can feel that. Um, and I don't. what I don't want is to say all inadequate services feel like that because they don't, because an awful lot of people learn as well. So they learn, they've been rated inadequate and actually they they put the mirror up and kind of gone, okay, this is this is what we have been able, what we've been doing and we need to break this down and work this through. So inadequate currently today, who has been inspected last year, does not mean that this culture is still there. But when it's very new, typically that culture is there. Um, and the other thing, of course, is because of all of that, or as a result of lack of leadership, that's what happens. So you've got possibly leaders who don't feel that they can make decisions. They don't feel that they're supported. Um, often home managers will tell, tell you, you know, that they're trying to make changes, but they're getting told budget reasons why they can't do it or other reasons why they can't do it. For example, well, this is how we do it. This is how we've always done it. So therefore, this is the way you need to do it. Even though a home manager who's a registered manager with CQC is saying, this is this is really what we need to do to make this right. And um, for me, when I've gone into services like this, I will meet the teams. So I will go straight in and I will sit in a room with the teams and ask them what they think the answers are. And I can guarantee you they know the answers. They know what we need to do. And it's sometimes uncomfortable and it's sometimes um, difficult. I mean, I remember years ago walking into a service um, and meeting a whole 
team of like afternoon and night team members because often night team members get left out a bit don't they yeah yeah they do. an awful lot to tell us um and this night team were describing to me what a night shift was like because I was going to be going in to, to work with them and I wanted to I didn't want to do a kind of I'm coming in to work with you so I wanted to tell me what you think I'm going to experience here and what they hadn't got was a mechanism to share that back into the home so that that could actually be fixed what that then did was create a huge divide between days and nights, as we often see in care homes, aren't we? It's the night team or the day team. Mm. And so therefore there was it was a fractured team. So nobody was actually considering Mr. Smith in room 90. Everyone was considering where they were in this place. And and nobody was actually working together to kind of deliver what was needed. And um, and so it can, as leaders, it can be quite uncomfortable to sit in those rooms to hear how we failed to hear how actually if we had answered that particular question or that particular email, or if we'd done that survey, or if we'd gone in and met people, we would have known these things and we would have actually been able to make a difference. I don't know if I've gone off the the, the question there, but no, no, that's you're probably why, what I would say is the team typically are hugely affected. We, you can feel it. You don't even need to walk around. You don't need to smell us. You don't need to look at it. You can feel that when you walk into into a service so culture is everything and it doesn't I suppose what I, I'm trying to get across is is that culture is something that you have to work on every single day I think we need leaders like me who are nosy I'm very nosy but I think we all we need to be nosy <laughs> um, but we need to be willing to accept you know when it goes wrong as well and, and really be able to say well what is getting in the way here um, so, yeah, I think inadequate feels sad. It feels hard. It feels that people are going to work and they're doing a job instead of a vocation. And not because those people woke up that morning to do a bad job, but because actually we've not looked after them. And generally, if we look after the team, the team actually look after the rest. So for me, that's where it goes. goes that's the difference. When we go to the other end, when we go to outstanding, when you walk into an outstanding home, you feel like people own it. You feel like the team feel like they run the place. So they don't need permission to go and show somebody around. I, I visited um, some homes up in the north recently. Um, I, I, I asked one of the directors, could I go and have a look? Because they were doing some great stuff. And I, I'm nosy. I want to know what other people are doing. That's the best way, isn't it? Steal ideas if you can't think on your own. So I was obviously, go and see other people. But it was beautiful because when I went into those services, I was with a director, but they did not show me their services. Their team did. They stayed away and the team took me around, showed me everything, introduced me to everyone. And that's the difference. When you go into the inadequate homes and where people don't feel um, important and valued, they hide and they hide from the inspectors. They hide from everyone because they don't know that they've got stuff to give. They don't. We haven't let them know. In these outstanding services, the team showed me around with pride. They weren't scared about opening the door. They weren't scared about questions. If you know, they were they were quite happy to answer them. There was a real transparency in all of the conversations, and that to me that drives outstanding. So. It's culture. It's all about culture. And we can have every process, we can have every system, we can have everything. But if the culture is not okay, people won't be okay. And that's that's a, a fascinating explanation of both good culture and when culture's poor. I think one of the challenges for managers is that 
they often inherit services Absolutely. so you know the culture or the poor culture is not of their own making but yep. they come in as a new manager Absolutely. and inherited that poor culture what's your thoughts about that or any top tips that you would have about but how I, to handle I, that I love that and and actually that one that I was talking about where I went in and met the night teams that was one of those that was one of the times where I'd gone in and a service that we were inheriting a really bad culture and um I think that's the first thing to do is sit with the team. Go it. Let's assume, first of all, so when you go into a service that maybe is requires improvement, has gone through a few different managers, because that happens sometimes, you know, you go through a few different managers, you know, you've had a, a, a turnover of people and you don't see an awful lot of support coming in. And when it does, it's telling, not working with. So there's a difference between telling people what to do and working alongside people. So I would say that, Going in and and putting yourself in a room, having a cup of tea, get some pizza. You know, it depends on where you are. There's particular homes I'd never send pizza to because they don't like it. They have to have fried chicken. That you know, but <laughs> you need to know which which is which. Other places are cakes, but it's about going in and literally saying, "I'm here to hit listen. I am here to hear what you have to say," because you cannot change a culture by imposing what you want on people. The culture will only change if the people's hearts and souls change. That's only going to happen if they trust you. And they're not going to trust you if you don't listen. I think an awful lot of times uh, people go in as manager and think, well, I've got to manage this situation. I've got to fix this. I'm going to deal with it this way. And I'm going to say, this person's not doing this. This person's not doing this. That's not going to fix that culture at all. Um, I, I literally, because I've done culture change programs at Carroms, I will go in and find the loudest, most disruptive team member I can find. And I will find them. And then we know what we know. We know that they're the ones who lead the team in all of the, you know, oh, we're not happy about this, we're not happy about this. But if they can lead the team in a negative direction, they can also lead the team in a positive direction. Often when managers go in, they think I need to get rid of that person because they're a troublemaker. <laughs> but the problem is you get rid of that person, then you've lost the person who can actually lead this team. So instead of actually thinking, right, you're trouble, think about, well, why are, what, what, what is going on behind that? Why are they saying what they're saying? But actually, they're very good at influencing all of these people. So if I can actually learn from this person what the team needs and get them to help me influence the team moving forward, you not only then keep the person that people trust, but actually that person becomes your ally. Um, now, there are times when you do have to make decisions, Wendy. When you go into some care services and you see some bad practice or you see things that wouldn't be okay for your mommy, and not because somebody doesn't know, somebody hasn't been taught, but because there's an innate issue with that human being, you have to handle that. You have to deal with that. You couldn't, you can't not deal with that. But I think... For me, most of the time, when you look at something that's going wrong or you look at a, a culture that's breaking, you have to ask the question, what are we doing about this? What have we done? The other thing I'd say is with this is Pareto's law. So Pareto's law says 80-20 rule, isn't it? So in, in, home care, in home management, whether that's in care homes, home care, any service, you spend 80% of your time dealing with 20% of the people. So that means that an awful lot of your time is dealing with people who are not performing. 
and not dealing actually with all of the people who are performing and actually making sure that they're motivated and continued. So there are times where you have to say, right, I've had a conversation about this person now X times. We've met with this person. We've done all that we can. We know what we, we've done. We were meant to do has been done. So therefore, that person can no longer be here because I cannot spend my time on this person when actually I've got all of these other people to actually de- develop and, and make a really good space, really. So does it, do you have to give yourself a cutoff, I would say, and in in, going into any service like that. And just make sure the team are part of the plan, are the plan. Yeah. One yeah. of the things that you... Um... One of the things that I think takes up a lot of managers' time is um, dealing with disagreements between staff. And that was something <laughs> you alluded to before when you were talking about night shift versus yes. day shift. Yeah. And I suspect there'll be lots of, of managers thinking, yes, I have those problems between <laughs> one shift and another or yeah. different teams. Um, how, how do you deal with that? I think there's lots of different ways. So I think the first, the easiest way, the very easiest way is to get people to swap. Walk in the shoes of the other person. (laughs) It's very difficult to judge somebody if you walk in their shoes. That's not always practical, though, because not all of our teams can go on to nights and work on nights. And not all of our night teams can go on days and work on days. But if you have the ability to do that, please do that. Because that will actually, if we can walk in the shoes that will really help people understand what life is really like in that shift during that, because you don't know. You might think you know, but you don't really know until you actually do it. And so that's the first thing I would say. The second thing is is have open and honest conversations. So have open and honest conversation with the first team, then with the second team, then with the two teams together. But let's set some ground rules in that as well so that it will be set in respect it will be set in looking for outcomes. It will be set in looking for solutions. We don't want to sit on, well, you did this, I did this, this was a problem. So one of the things I do at my teams is I share a thing called Cartman Drama Triangle. So, <laughs> so it's Cartman's Drama Triangle, which is, it's a triangle. And um, it talks about in any relationship, in any kind of um, discussion, you can have a persecutor, you can have a victim or yeah. you can have, I don't know if you've seen it. Have you ever seen that? So I share this triangle with people and then they have to decide where they are. In the, are they in the triangle or are they having adult, adult conversations? With What's them? on the third, third line then? So, so, so you've got, prosecutor. So you've got, you've got persecutor, victim and rescuer. So rescuer. Okay. So in care, when I say in a room, right, who who sees themselves as a persecutor? Often a manager might say, well, I don't, but the team do. (laughs) I don't see myself, but the team often see me as a persecutor. The um, victim, very few people want to talk about being a victim. They don't don't want to say, like, I act like a victim. But actually, it's quite a lot of that, isn't there? Wherever we are, you see that in the office. And then rescuers in care, a lot of people put their hands up saying, yes, I'm a rescuer, I'm a rescuer, I'm a rescuer. But when I share with them that actually the most dangerous position on that triangle is a rescuer, they're kind of like, oh, okay. <laughs> what, what? And the problem, I always say to people, you can't unknow this once you know this, which is really annoying as well. It's like, oh, now I know this. So uh, an awful lot of managers um, choose to do things for people because it t- it's quicker. You'll get the care of the walks and go, I can't do my daily notes because, you know, I haven't got time and... I had to do this and I had to do this. And they just say, oh, well, don't worry, I'll do it then. And they do it. And then that, then they do it the next day. Then they do it the next day, et cetera. 
the victims and the persecutors are people persecutors are it's easy to to think by the way it doesn't mean you are a persecutor it means you're perceived to be a persecutor so the night team would often perceive the day team as being persecutors because they didn't put people to bed or they didn't do this or they didn't do that the day team same isn't it so they say well, they've done nothing all night and now look at me, I've got to do this. So I'm either a victim or I'm a persecutor. So when we have these meetings, and I said, right, there's a triangle, but we've got to find a way of having this conversation outside of that triangle. How do we? How are we going to do that? And it's really, it's quite fun in the end. It's quite fun. So years ago, I used to have this in one a care home, like 25 years ago, and we used to have little bells so that if we heard victim language, we'd ring a bell. <laughs> and it was good. It kind of got fun. So I have people who used to work for me who still message me and go ding a ling because they mean another. They're going to moan. But I think you can create this kind of open and transparent conversation without having to have a go at another person or, you know, just because you're not happy and I'm not happy doesn't mean you've caused it. It might be that something else has gone on. But the, the typical night day thing does happen. But I do think that we as leaders need to make sure that we're incorporating both sets of teams into meetings. We're making the time to actually yeah. meet people. I think um, so we do our team meetings and um, we have it online and face to face in, in the home. So it's online as well as face to face always. Um, but we do them at 7 p.m. the evening on purpose because it means that the night team can join the day teams can join, people can join from home, they can join from the bus. Have men I have had somebody join from the bath, in which case I said, No, <laughs> just no. not quite <laughs> rather not you you not be in the bath. But you know, but it means then that we're having that dialogue and it's this conversation that's happening together. Um, because teams like that, they can feel left out one way or the other. And I think if we can just get to the place where we assume best intentions of everyone, so that has to be the core, that if we assume that actually the night team didn't not do that because they don't care and they didn't do it because something happened and that the day team can do the same, I think we'll get into a better space and the team will actually be kinder to each other and give each other a bit of a break. And then we can start to break down and work out what we need to do moving forward. Yeah. I can literally, I'm sitting here nodding, thinking this is exactly, you know, so, you know, I've, I, in previous roles, I used to do quite a lot of investigations when they've been, yeah. I don't know, safeguarding or complaints yeah. or whistleblown or anything like that. And the amount of times that I'd go into teams and there will be like these two camps yeah. and, you know, you spoke to one camp, oh, the other people don't do anything. And it could be, you know, anything. it could be day, day yeah. and night, it could be day yeah. service, you know, or it, yeah. or it could just be two lots of teams. And yeah. sometimes it could be culture as well, you know, you know, this culture or then the other culture yes. don't do yeah. anything. You know, it could be lots of different, but yeah. basically within a service, two teams have been created, even if they weren't actually meant to be two teams. And it would always be, oh, well, they don't do anything. Or oh, when I come in, they have never done that <laughs> rather than actually, as you say, going, you know, go and work in the other person's shoes and 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 feel you know yeah. no they don't just not do this because exactly. they didn't feel like it yeah. they it, there was a reason behind it and some kindness within that exactly yeah I agree the best example I've ever heard was like there was uh, um two members of staff they were they were managers within the same building but there were two different services a bit, bit complicated but um but they just didn't get on 
um yeah. and lots of things have been tried and it just didn't seem to work and um some bright spark decided to uh send them both off to an escape room brilliant love it and then they had so they had to work out how to get out of this escape room yes. and they came out best friends or well, not sure best friends but they came out friends yeah, you know they came yeah. out and going we've solved something together exactly we've had, we started to have an understanding of each other and yeah. therefore we've you know that we can now work together I just thought this is genius and you know you may you may not want to want to kind of send everybody off into an escape route but but finding some way of having people having a common thing that they got to solve together or achieve to achieve together and you know it it, but it's hard to get to that to get to that point can I just come Um, back on that you mind I'm just going to tell you so what we do is so we are we've got these assessment days as I said and then on our first day of induction everyone's asked to bring an item with them that really matters to them and it has to really matter and they then need to talk about what that item is and, and it can't be their phone <laughs> no it can't be that well it might be it might be like it might be if if for example we had a lady join one of our one of our ones where actually she had pictures of her kids on her phone because her kids were in Nigeria and she'd right. come here to work and she cried talking about the kids she left behind uh, um and and what we've i find it's really interesting i just did one of these a couple of weeks ago i i, I like to hop in on these uh, you know uh, uh, as often as i can and um, it's interesting that people really do share who who they are and i think that that's really important because i think in in a lot of jobs a lot of roles and especially in nursing actually and people have been asked to depersonalize themselves a little bit. They've been asked to come in, put on the mask, come to work and be this person. That's not real. We are human beings first and foremost. So what hurts me today is going to affect me today. What makes me happy today is going to affect me today. So what we do with our teams is we really want them to know each other as human beings before they ever know the person's job. So they won't know what the other person's job is on the induction yet, but they'll learn that person as a human first. And I think we have to do a lot more of that in care. I think we've got to make it much more humanized and look at human beings being human. First, before we look at titles, before we look at what role you're going to do, before we look at anything, because then actually, when you do get a bit annoyed, but sometimes it's annoying, you know, you can come in, you know, I've done nights and I've done days in, in care. Now I've come in on night shift and the dining room is in a hot mess. Nobody's picked up any of the stuff. It's not been brought to the kitchen, all of this stuff. And it can be kind of frustrating. But actually, when you think then, oh, well, Mary was on and her kid is not well. And actually, she, I remember her saying about this. It just puts it into a whole different perspective because we're now dealing with human beings and we're not dealing with the night team, the day team, the person who didn't do this. So I think we need to become much more personal in care than what we have. And I think we've kind of maybe tried to train out the humanness. And actually, it's the humanness that actually creates great culture. And that respect and honour of each individual is really, really important. So, yeah, I would say so. So it's not an escape room but it is a sharing of who I am with you and this is who I am. And yeah, it it, it does change the dynamic in, in teams because people understand who each other is. So tell me about the assessment centres that you have. We do uh, assessment days. We do emotional intelligence assessment days before we interview people. So we don't interview until we've assessed emotional intelligence. So you need to answer some 
really quirky questions when you apply for a job with us. So it's not, you do have to answer whether you've got a right to work because we have to do yeah. that one. It's yeah. always the key. But other than that, you do you can do your application, which covers all of the usual, everything that we need to do. But the first few questions you're asked are slightly stranger. So it asks, would you talk to a stranger at a bus stop? Would you ever dance in the rain? <laughs> yeah, there's just quirky questions. And what we do then is we see how people answer those. And if they answer them with a yeah, God, yeah, I would do that. Yeah, I, I would. Or no, I wouldn't because of this. But I'd love to be able to. Because some people wouldn't, but they'd love to have the freedom to, but they've been taught not to. So it depends on how they answer it. They then get invited to an assessment centre. And the assessment centre is literally, I can't give everything away because otherwise... No, that's fair enough. <laughs> I mean, as in if future people come to the assessment centre, yeah. I don't want to let them know each of the things that we're looking for because otherwise... Uh -huh. But essentially, um, we're assessing people's emotional intelligence for a few hours. So they've got a couple of things that they need to do as team members together. And so we're kind of looking at who leads, who doesn't lead, who, who kind of starts having discussions with other people, who listens. So you can have, it's quite interesting because you get very qualified people. So people who've been in care a long time, feel very qualified, who actually take over the whole room and don't actually listen to other people. Don't actually let that person's life experience come out because they have the experience. Those kind of people don't tend to do very well assessment centres because they haven't learned to listen. Um, but those assessment centres, only then, if you get through the assessment centre, and we've got five different people assessing throughout the assessment centre, and then if you get through that, then you'll be interviewed and then we'll know what job. But until then, you're a human being being assessed for emotional intelligence first. And I oh. love the quirkiness of that. You know, I, yeah. I've gotten grossed in the um, would I dance in the rain question and I haven't moved on from there now. So. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, but there's another one about, well, what would you do if you saw somebody fall over in the street? Now, some people are very practical. They say, well, I'd go check them, put them on the side, call 999. Some people are like, I feel really sad for them. Oh my God, they'd be really embarrassed. It, it just depends. It, and it and it just tells you a lot about a human being how they answer. Some people go to those questions and think, "I really do not want to work for these people. They're insane." And that's okay too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it's not for everybody, is it? It's not. And the the assessment centres. The other thing we're really really clear on is that our culture is based on human rights. So that's the human rights of every individual everywhere. And that we will advocate and stand up for any individual who needs that support if they can't do it themselves. We're really, really clear at Assessment Centre on that. So we talk about LGBTQI, how we want, we really want to encourage people from the LGBTQI community to come and work with us and to help us understand and know what's going on. We work with um, a, another a, a human rights organisation. We're looking for accreditation with them as well. Um, but we talk about how, you know, a, a particular individual who might come and live with us might, for example, be transgender, might be gay, might be straight, might be whatever. And family members may not always want that discussed. And we actually talk about that in these assessment centres as well. And we do that because some people self-select. They say, that's not an organisation I want to be at. And that's OK. That's perfectly OK. So we're really open and transparent about the fact that this is who we are and not everyone, well, it's not for everybody, but actually, you know, we're trying, I suppose, to say, 
in older people who are from, say, the LGBTQI community, often don't feel safe coming to care homes because they don't know that they're going to be accepted. They don't know that actually we will work with them and say somebody who's living with dementia who really does want to hold on to who they really are, that we will work with them to make that happen. So for me, that's really big. And so the assessment centre really goes into detail in that too. So we're kind of putting out our, our thing, if you like, and kind of going, if this isn't for you, it's probably this is the right time to choose because you're not it's not going to work for you so so it's very yeah. much about recruiting people with your organizational this values absolutely and, and, and values being really there. front and front yeah. front and center about it really yeah and it, and if you're not willing to talk about who you are you're not willing to share who you are it's probably not going to be the organization for you because we're always going to have open and transparent conversations so yeah really interesting I'm going to change tact a little bit. Um, I just want to go back to something you said, you know, a little while ago, you were talking about things going wrong. Yes. Um, so, you know, how, how, and I think it's sometimes a subject that we're a bit scared to talk about. So, you know, something has gone wrong in, in, and that happens to all of us. All the time. You know, yeah. <laughs> something goes wrong. What, what is it the things that you could do? What, what can you learn from things that goes wrong? I think things go wrong. I mean, that's it. Things go wrong. You've got people working with people. Things will definitely go wrong. And I think the first thing we need to do is make sure the team know that, that we know that things will go wrong <laughs> and that we're not scared of things going wrong. Um, in our in our organisation, we have what we call Lessons Learned Lab. So what I do is I host this and every month, all again on teams, all team members from any role, can join this lessons learn lab and we talk there about say for example there's been a safeguarding and we've done a safeguarding investigation we talk about the outcome and the lessons learned from that because of course safeguarding is literally about learning lessons isn't it it's about how do we prevent this from happening again and how can we get better the next time and we literally talk talk openly and honestly with everyone about those things the reason we do that is because we want lessons and learning from mistakes to be part of every day and not an event. <laughs> it, it, it shouldn't be an event. It should be just, my God, yeah, you know what? We could have done better there or that went a bit wrong. Let's figure out what, how, how that happened and how can we make it right the next time. So I think what we need is to be able to say to people again during induction, be really clear. We don't expect things not to go wrong. We actually expect things to go wrong and it's perfectly okay for things to go wrong. It's about actually what do we learn from that thing that went wrong? Could it? The biggest questions are, could it have been prevented? Did we have anything that might have told us that this might happen? And there's sometimes that is, sometimes there's not. Um, so I think it's really about expecting things to go wrong and I know a lot of people in care don't love that because everyone was going no no it's all great it's fine it's perfect. it's not it's not going to be perfect we should expect things to go wrong and I think if we're expecting something to go wrong then team members will then know that and go okay well this is one of those times this has gone wrong and actually now we're going to have to do this this and this and we're, and we're going to learn from this but that's the thing isn't it I think things go wrong and I've been involved and still involved in, in, you know, with some things that are very, very serious things that have gone wrong. Um, I think, again, go back to assume best intentions, assume that the person didn't get up that morning to make that mistake for that to happen. I think we have to approach that in that way. Um, 
we had, uh, I think the other thing to do is to remember that when we're having conversations with team members, you know, through an investigation, you said you've done investigations, Pia. I think making the person feel comfortable about just sharing what their perspective of that is, is really important and not kind of, <clears throat> not being really kind of, tell me this, tell me this, tell me this, but being really kind of, having a conversation with people rather than having an interrogation. Yeah. And um, I think that that can change things as well and can change what you get from people. Yeah. I know Wendy's keen to get the, uh, the, the last, the last <clears throat> kind of question. I'll just do one more thing I'm going to ask you before, before we move on to the last two questions is um, I was just intrigued to, to learn that you, um, do you listen to a lot of audio leadership books? Yes. And I just wonder why you do that. Oh, cause I'm always learning and I don't know what I don't know still. And and as a leader, I think we have to know, we have to know that we don't know everything and never will. And that other people have got lots of different ways of approaching things. And um, I, I list to audiobooks, but actually I give a free prescription prescription subscription to all the leaders in all our homes as well. So all the home managers, all the deputies, all the central team, they all have an audible subscription that we pay for. Um, and that we share a book that we are going to listen to. And then on in next at the end of this month, actually, we've got an away day because we do um, succession planning away days. Um, and we'll talk about what we've all learned from that book. So I think it's important for all of us really to stay open to learning. And other people have experienced stuff we haven't. And they'll have experienced it definitely in a different way because they're not us. So they'll, they'll have a different yeah. And we can just keep learning. So for me, it's about, it's not about kind of knowing stuff, but it's about actually, you know what, that person's that person's approach to that would have been very different to my approach. And actually, but I love Brené Brown as well. I don't you know Brené Brown. I don't even know her. She talks about vulnerability and vulnerability in leadership, which is really, really important. Um, I think that we can all learn. And I think it sets... When when you have a leadership team that all kind of read the same book or all have kind of got the same kind of way of learning, it means then that we can have true and honest discussions and agree or disagree, that's fine, but we need to keep learning. And, and the day I think we think we know it all is the day we should go home. I love that. Your your leaders and managers then get to be part of a book club as well yes, as being, absolutely. as well as being employed by your organization. Yeah. That's a yeah. win-win for me, it's, isn't yeah. it? It's important. I think it's important. And I, I it's quite interesting. I will tell you that the first book I sent out, I, do you mind me saying the name of the book? It's quite no, it's, that's fine. No, that's fine. Yeah, it's by Simon Sinek and it's called Know Your Why. So it's about why, what why why are you in leadership like and literally gets into it. But I remember one of the in this company um I'd sent it out and one of the home managers came back and said I was really a bit skeptical about that initially because that guy loves Apple you know Apple phones and stuff because he uses Apple as a not as a as a discussion about an organization you said she was saying I thought he was just trying to advertise Apple but then actually when I listened to it I could see then why and it's really it's really quite interesting but I think I think if I don't value the other people's learning how are they going to value that as well so I think having just conversations and somebody can read that and one person did read the book and go I didn't really I didn't really get him at all didn't really get him at all that's grand other people will get something from it but I think it's about having that conversation and just about knowing none of us know everything so we should just keep trying to learn that's all great thank you 
Excellent. So, um, as Pierre said, on to our last couple of questions. So, we always have a time to care slot in every episode. Yeah. So, I'd just like to invite you to share what's your most time saving tip because you're clearly a very busy lady. Busy lady, absolutely. My most time saving tip is diarise. Diarise and value your own time. So, um, I think. Never, my dad used to have a saying that said, never make someone a priority who makes you an option, which I think is a very good saying. <laughs> I think it's a really, really good saying. And I've always kind of, that's interesting. Um, and I think diarise things. So, but also diarise time. To, I've got literally got focused time diarised in my diary. So that, you know, so that it's all in there. So people think, oh my God, but if I've got to put everything in the diary, I'll never have time to do it. But actually, if you do that, it will save you a lot of time trying to do lots of other things. So I think use your diary. I use like the, the online, you know, calendar in, in, in my email, but that will save you a hell of a lot of time. And always remember the 80-20 rule. Check who 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 you're spending time with because yeah. make sure it's yeah. on the, on, with the right with the right people who you can develop that would be my other one fabulous Great advice. and our final question um i'd like you to imagine that we're on a lift on the 10th floor going down with a group of registered managers mm -hmm. and before everybody gets out you want to tell them what you think is your is the most important thing to leave them with so what is your key message in those 10 floors that you're coming down 10 for be about two seconds and I'm Irish, so that would be impossible. But we'll give it a go. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, be kind to you. Be kind to you. As a registered manager, be kind to you. I don't think the registered managers are kind enough to themselves. I think they've got a lot of pressure. It's the hardest job. It is relentless. It can be ruthless. It can be life-changing and life-pulling and life-enhancing and life I mean, literally, it is such a hard role. So I would say be kind to yourself as a registered manager and also remember that you are human. You are a human being before you're a registered manager and that you will make mistakes and it's okay. Um, but just be kind to yourself. And that's the biggest thing I could say because I think just be kind to them. And and. The last thing I would say is another one for my dad. Again, he, he died a few years ago, but he was a very clever Irish man. And he would always say, leave the people in the room whole when you leave. So in other words, his thinking on that was, uh, when you leave a room, are people as happy and at peace and okay as when you came in? So as a leader, we can go in and deliver really tough messages sometimes. We can be, you know, can be tough. You know, you got a huge safeguarding going on or you've got something else going on it can be you can deliver really tough messages but how people feel when you leave the room is a true measure of you as a leader so as a registered manager be kind to you and then you can be kind to other people and then when you measure that room and you leave it people should be whole when you leave fantastic message, message to leave yeah. on yeah <laughs> don't think I could have summarised that any better than in any other way. So brilliant. Thanks so much, Samantha. It's been fascinating. <laughs> I knew it would be. Um, and just thanks so much for your time today. Oh, it's been really good. Thank you. I love the questions. They're really thought-provoking, aren't they? It's really good. I learn as well when I do these things. It's good. It's always good for us all, isn't it, to, to have a think. And no, thank you very much. It's been really good. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Thank Bye. you. Bye.
Right, great conversation with Samantha there. Oh, I knew it was going to be interesting, but it really, really was interesting, wasn't it, Wendy? Oh, it was fabulous. I um, I loved what she had to say about culture. Culture yeah. is just so important. And, you know, she gave some really good top tips for managers to think about what their own workplace culture is like, how to deal when with, with it when there's difficulties. And it really um, reminded me of our new culture toolkit, mm. because obviously our new culture toolkit um, from Skills for Care helps managers to do exactly this, the same sorts of things. It gives managers a chance to think about what is their current workplace culture um, and what does that look like, but also to think about how do they embed a good culture, but how do they develop um and and grow that culture and there's some really good um resources within that culture toolkit with uh that, that managers can use to to work with their staff to look at things like do we have any subcultures you know how could we all work better better together so i think that's a a, a really good resource and it just backs up some of the fantastic things that samantha was saying in our conversation yeah, it's a really interesting conversation and, and it was really interesting because we sort of started off by asking about CQC inspections and and straight away she was talking about culture and then she was talking about recruitment and straight away she was talking about culture and then she was talking about retention of self and and, and culture within that. You know, it came, it came within everything and that is really what we see when we talk to managers, isn't it? That the culture... If you've got a positive culture, you know, that links to so many things within your within your service. You talked about self-care of managers, that was linked to culture. You know, so everything she talked about linked back to that culture. So being able to know, and I suppose it's really, you know, it can be incredibly hard to know if you've got a good culture and you kind of, you know, to put, she said herself, you know, put that mirror up and see what, well, do you have that or not? And maybe you, and, and there's so many activities in that talk, toolkit, isn't there, that, that you could use to kind of try and identify yourself. What's your cultural out like at a moment and other things that you can change? Really interesting. I thought her, how she was talking about leadership and, and her experience of being a leader and how she as a CEO treats her leaders, so the people that manages within her her services, was really interesting as well. Um, just so compassionate. Um, she didn't use that word, but that's how I would describe her leadership leadership style. You know, so compassionate to the people that that you know to herself, to her the managers, to to the frontline staff, to the people that she's supporting. Or supported by by her organisation, and if you think back to the episode that we did with Professor Michael West, um, the first episode of Series Three, um, that's exactly what he was talking about, wasn't it? You know, yeah. it, it, exactly that. That if if you are a if you if you have compassionate leadership, again, it's going to link to that culture. You're going to have a good culture and therefore you're going to provide a high quality care. Kind of all links together, doesn't it? It's like a jigsaw puzzle. Yeah, absolutely. And and even when she was talking about when things go wrong and she was talking about when things go wrong, she was still talking about a 
applying that compassionate leadership to yeah. that it yeah. wasn't about a blame culture it wasn't about what you did wrong yeah um, it was about let's sit down and and look at what we can learn together from from what's happened yeah absolutely you know and i i know at the time when we chested michael west we were talking a lot about the book that he'd written um if you are a member a registered manager member and you renew your membership you actually get a copy of that book and it is an absolutely amazing book really you know wor worthwhile um um to to read and use so um i think that's it for today um thank you very much for listening to this episode of the care exchange um as we always say and and um samantha talked about um uh, share, sharing sharing you know audio books also share podcasts so if you are uh, a manager and you're listening to this share this podcast and the rest of the series with with another manager or with your staff um, um, uh, um and hopefully they will enjoy it and, and pick something up um so that's all for, for today thank you very much bye bye <laughs>